Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Simply Vegan podcast, brought to you by the team at Vegan Food and Living, the UK's best-selling vegan magazine. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm really excited to be joined by Juliet Galatly, who founded vegan charity Viva back in 1994. Hi Juliet, how are you? Hi, I'm really well, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Still can't believe we're two years into the pandemic now. It's kind of a bit bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm sure you're getting really bored with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we spoke, funnily enough, it was this time last year, back in season one, episode 11, and we um, chatted about factory farming, didn't we? We did. We talked about Hogwood as well, the documentary. Yeah, yeah. yeah quite harrowing stuff. Um, for for listeners who didn't catch that episode or perhaps aren't familiar with the work that you do, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Viva? Sure. So I founded Viva in 1994. So we're in our 28th year um, and we have grown into the largest campaigning vegan charity probably in Europe. Um, we also have Viva Poland, which is a really well-known, well-respected group that's focuses on animal protection for Central Europe. So we divide roughly into four sections. So there's Viva Animals. We do a lot of investigations ourselves. Um, In fact, that's really our raison d'etre. We go inside places and expose what's happening and mostly manage to place that as an exclusive in a national newspaper and then obviously all the spin-off from other social media. We will reach millions of people through each investigation. We also have Viva Planet, which is exactly as it sounds. We look at the ramifications of consuming animals on our world. And then we have Viva Health, which looks at nutrition and health issues, which has been going a long time, done many campaigns. 
And then there's lifestyle, which is helping people change. So pre-pandemic, we were doing a hell of a lot of festivals, as you can imagine. One of our biggest things on that side is Vegan Recipe Club, which is an app or obviously it's on a desktop. Um, That's got well over a thousand recipes now and is really popular as well. So, yeah, lots going on. Very busy, very dynamic. Yeah, (laughs) I love the recipe club. It's so good. And you've just kind of you've kind of redone the website, haven't you? So it sort of looks great now relaunched it and we relaunched the app as well um I, I agree with you I I'm not being big-headed saying this because I think it's genuinely a brilliant recipe club because I don't write a single word of it so <laughs> I can say that um but it is one of the few that I actually genuinely use and and it, what I really like about it is the fact that the recipes do work that always helps but secondly is the fact that you can navigate your way around it so I you know, I'll focus in for me probably on recipes that take less than 30 minutes and they're all there. Um, yeah, I do like it a lot. Yeah, that's what, what we all want, need, just super quick. And it always recommends products as well, like brands that says, oh, we like to use Biolife or, you know, for cheese and things like that. Because if you are new to veganism and you just read vegan cheese, then sometimes you're like, well, what's that? <laughs> do I get to get it? Yeah, I know, because some sites have gone down the route where they'll only like promote a paid advertiser. And we decided not to do that. We decided to genuinely put what we really do use and, and just be genuinely as helpful as we possibly could. Yeah. So another thing that you're working on, I mean, how you juggle it all, I really don't know. But um, you're launching um, Viva Farming in January. What's that all about? So we obviously have been working on the issues behind veganism for a very long time and persuading people to change if they care for animals, their healthy environment. But what we're looking at more and more are the solutions. So pretty much, this might sound a bit of an exaggeration, but we are getting towards the point where most people recognise there has to be a change in their diet. Um, If you're going to get the whole nation to change their diet, I'm not saying everybody's going to go vegan within the next 10 years or anything like that. But what I am saying is that a quarter of the nation has already considerably changed their diet on the road towards it. And that is going to increase. So what we need to do is get farmers to change themselves. So industry is changing. It's responding to consumers. So you've got major supermarkets falling over themselves now to provide for vegans. You've got major companies. I mean, like Unilever. And I know a lot of listeners will go boo hiss. (laughs) <laughs> but the reason I'm mentioning it is because they are, we, you know, they are looking to go over to 50% plant-based, which is, you know, an illustration of the change that's going on in society. And they're doing it because they know what's happening to the environment and that people are going to go more and more towards veganism. Um, there isn't going to be any choice other than to do this. So so we do not want to import everything. We We, we want our farmers to respond to these changes because... We live in a climate which is relatively, um, you know, we're relatively lucky in terms of what we can grow here, in terms of the health of the soils and in terms of the climate and everything else that goes with having having to, um, to grow crops. But when you look at the stats on how much of our agricultural land is used for animal farming or to grow fodder or pasture for animal farming, instead of growing crops directly for us, it's really staggeringly staggeringly poor and inefficient and so we thought if we set up viva farming we're looking at solutions and we're doing something some supporters will agree with it hopefully a lot i know some supporters will disagree with it because they won't like us talking to farmers 
because they've traditionally in some ways been the, in inverted commas, the, the enemy. But the thing is, they are the people producing food and we need them to change if we're going to actually stop the climate crisis and halt the sixth mass extinction. It is such a major, major issue. So we're setting up Viva Farming to collaborate with farmers and push them in the direction that we want them to head. And that involves obviously encouraging rewilding of areas that are now used for animal agriculture, for example, because the only way you can get to rewild is if you actually have the space to do it. The only way you have the space to do it is if more people eat vegan and that we grow plant-based in the UK. Um, You know, I mean, fruit and vegetables, if you look on our website, it's viva.org.uk forward slash planet. If you go to the solutions bit, you'll see how many fruit and veg we're capable of growing in the UK. It's such a vast array. And yet we only produce less than a quarter of our total intake of fruit and veg within the UK. So we're massively underproducing what we could be very, very good at. Mm. With protein crops, it, you know, we're staggeringly low in terms of the protein crops, you know, all the beans, peas, you know, the pulses, basically. We could produce much, much more... And they're very good for the environment because they nitrogen fix and you can use them as part of crop rotations and so on. And yet we, you know, we're using hardly any of UK agricultural land to grow protein crops ourselves. So, so there's so much potential in the UK and yet we so underperform in that sense. Mm. So it's to encourage that change and get collaborations and get people talking together Um, And also, back to what Viva does fundamentally, is we are a consumer campaigning group. And that's what's driven a lot of the change in the UK. It's come from the ground up, this, you know, this change towards veganism. And we want to encourage consumers to push farmers to change as well. Whether or not they are vegan doesn't matter. But most people recognise farmers have to provide a lot more of the plant-based crops than they're doing now. Um, sorry, I'm giving a terribly, terribly long answer to this. I'm just aware of that, but it's one of those things. There's, um, there's so much to say. I bet I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I mean, you're such a, you know, you're such a wealth of information. Um, I mean, going back to what you were saying about it, kind of being us and them situation with farmers versus vegans. I mean, you only have to go on social media or, you know. Um, TV programs and you'll kind of have the vegan pitched against the farmer and they do have very opposing views. Um, so I think I think it's really important that we start to engage with farmers um, and sort of do away with this us and them scenario. We're, we're all kind of in it together, aren't we? You know, we're all on this planet and yeah, and time's running out, as we all know, in terms of some of the biggest issues that the human race has ever had to face. Um, and but it's not just the human species it's all the animals and the plant life that you know we're taking down with us and if you know a lot of farmers um, say that they take this very seriously and some of them are going to what's called um, regenerative farming for example in a genuine attempt I think to increase biodiversity but you're still left with the same problems that fundamentally if you look at free range animal agriculture so largely you're looking at beef production in that case it is one of the most disastrous things for the environment ever from the amount of land that's used in terms of pasture lands globally you know farmers in the UK you you can't ignore this the fact that so much of the world's land is used for pasture land for, for these free range animals 
Then you've got the, the, the other side of animal agriculture, which is factory farming, which comes with all its own major problems, not least of which is what we do to the animals themselves while they're alive, which is so appalling. Mm. How can we be in 2021 going into 22 when we're still you know, treating animals in this way as if we're some kind of primitive species that knows no better? There mm. is no used to do this anymore what's no there never was but you get my point yeah um and all the the fallout from that in terms of other kinds of environmental problems so we're creating major water pollutions i mean really serious stuff and yet none of this is absolutely necessary at all so there are ways of farming the land which is the way why we need collaboration of farmers who've done it so obviously you've got the ian tolhurst of the world in the uk who have been doing veganic farming for many, many years now commercially, who are trying very hard and work really hard to help other people and educate others. And you've got academics who are coming forward who are saying it has to be the way forward. What we need, of course, is governmental support because there does need to be a complete switch around in the way that farmers are rewarded for doing this instead of what they've traditionally done in the past, which is being rewarded for actually damaging the landscape and reducing biodiversity. So there is a lot of work to do in terms of collaboration. But yes, these are all, they're just human beings, they're just people, and their needs are coming together of the realisation that we need to be farming plant-based. How does that work then? Are you kind of contacting farmers and kind of engaging in them that way, or are they coming to you? So we're launching in January with a debate at the biggest farming conference in the UK, which is in Oxford. Um, And, you know, I'm not, you know, in cloud cuckoo land about this because a lot of farmers will be resisting what we say. They won't even like what we say. But you have to start somewhere with this conversation in terms of how we get from the crisis situation that we're in now. Um, I mean, just as an example, the UK is only about half sufficient, self-sufficient in food production and as the climate crisis progresses and things like fresh water um, availability become major issues globally I mean um, and the climate crisis produces you know more and more problems in terms of there's going to be you know mass migrations of peoples and everything that that you know um, everything that that means um, we really need as a nation to become much more self-sufficient in food so that we aren't relying on imports in the way. So I'm saying pretty much half of our food is imported and it doesn't need to be that. We could almost actually through going plant-based be completely self-sufficient if we wanted to be. I'm not suggesting that we should, you know, everything has to come from the UK, but if we wanted to be, needed to be, but it's only through heading towards an almost completely plant-based production system. So what we're doing is setting up these collaborations and trying to produce the advice available to help. We haven't got the funding to pay farmers, obviously, to go to plant-based. That's not what we can do. We have um, um, Kerry, who worked for um, DEFRA, actually, for four years on the subsidy system. She is our farming coordinator, and we are funding her PhD, which is all part of involving farmers so she in answer to your question yes she does go to farmers and she does talk to them and try and get collaborations and is trying to pull together because it's all very disparate at the moment all different people doing their own little thing we're trying to pull together a genuine resource so that we can give genuine advice to other farmers who do want to change 
um, or at least get on that path towards change. I mean, they've had all sorts of problems this year, haven't they? Um, with I think the pig farmers, there's been they've had to be culling them on the farms and all this horrific stuff going on. So, you know, it seems that farmers are already struggling. Yeah, exactly. The, the, when you look at the the salary level of farmers, you know, um, you know, it's pretty damn low in terms of you know averages for the whole of the UK, and the number of small scale farmers, as I'm sure everybody is aware, you know, I, I think we've lost something like more than one hundred thousand family farms since about 1990. That is a lot. So what's wow. happening? Which is very bad for the animals. Is you've got these large scale companies often multinational companies who are buying up in essence an industry. And that's exactly what's happened with broiler chicken farming, which, of course, is the most abused animals in terms of numbers by a long, long way. So we kill over a billion of them every year in the UK alone. And what's happened is you've got three main companies who have basically bought out the whole industry and the smaller scale people tend to contract to them. So they're, you know, they're in their pay and controlled by them ultimately. And the, the, the whole sm- of small scale farming is disappearing. So, it, it, you know, who really in their right minds would want to be an industrial farmer? I don't even think of them as farmers. That, that, that You know, that, 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 that these animals have just become like production machines mm. um, where, where they're just getting through to slaughter away as fast as possible in the shortest time possible in the, in, in the most crowded circumstances. So all the issues that go with that, like antibiotic resistance, because you have to give these animals drugs. I mean, it, you know, pandemics, there's another issue relating to factory farming. You know, we're heading, as the World Health Organization has warned us many times now, you know, the next pandemic is probably going to be one of the strains of bird flu, which is directly relates to poultry farming, the way that we farm. There are so many issues tied up with this. I think many farmers would like to change. And it's really unfortunate, and that's a mild word, that governments are so many years behind the times. The UK could be leading on this. We truly, truly could. And we could be leading on whatever people think about it from an animal environmental point of view. We could be leading on cultivated meat. So you take a biopsy from an animal that you do not harm and then you have infinite cell lines and you never kill another animal. We could be saving millions upon millions upon millions of lives. We could be right ahead because we've got really good universities here. And it's just that we, you hear my frustration, the people, you know, the people, the leaders, politics, the way everything is set up. It's so short termism. I'm not saying anything anyone listening hasn't heard before, but it's becoming a real problem. It already is a massively real problem when we're trying to set out long term, almost revolutionary changes in the way that we farm the land. And the irony is a lot of it's going back to the way things used to be done. So I was listening to a farmer actually just a couple of days ago who was saying, I am now because he's changed. So it's a no till system. That means they don't plow the land. He's saying, when you stop ploughing the land, he said, how insane is it to turn the soil upside down like that, you know, and spray everything with these nitrogen fertilisers and all the nitrate runoff into the water and destroy the topsoils. You may have seen that study which came out not that long ago, which was saying something like we have another 60 years of topsoil left. Mm. And then Cranfield, the the agricultural um, college, looked at that study and said it's not quite as bad as that, 
but actually it is really bad. Um, we need to change the way we farm. And so that's why some farmers are looking at regenerative farming because they realise that actually we're not actually going to even be able to grow the crops, which is mm. fairly scary stuff. But it's actually relatively easy to get the... Uh, you know, the land to respond if you respect it and you do things in a kind way and you leave it to breathe and you rotate the crops and do all the things that we bloody well know. But there's no government incentive to, you know, the the government since the Second World War have pulled farmers away from doing it right into doing it the worst possible way. Everything, agriculture in terms of crop growing is so intensive and monocultures and just ripped up all the hedgerows and destroyed the ponds, you know, filled in the peats. Animals were treated as if they have no feelings whatsoever and crammed them in their thousands into sheds. We actually couldn't have got it more wrong. Yeah. (laughs) We now have to rectify it so quickly. And there are lots of people willing to do that. And you have to start somewhere, don't you? You really do. the curve will be a very steep one in terms of going towards what I'm talking about, but it has to be really fast. And that, that, that's the thing we need, like people listening to this, we should all be, you know, contacting even DEFRA. I know a lot of people dismiss them as being completely useless, but we need them to sit up and think, actually the British public do want this to change and we need to be supporting it. You speak with such passion, Julia, and I, I totally relate to, you know, I think the more that you know about what's going on, the more kind of frustrated and, and stressed you feel about it. Um, I mean, how do you cope? Do you just kind of throw yourself into what you do to kind of <laughs> deal with the emotions surrounding? I think, you know what, I was listening to some teenagers talking about this um, and it was very moving because some of them were very scared by the climate crisis um and one of them um a teenager who was about I suppose 18 he was saying I was really scared to the point of almost paralysis because I felt useless like you know the tiniest tiniest cog in this major global program um problem and how he coped was by doing something so he just joined a local group in his local town that was you know um tackling climate change in its own way and he's saying although that's very small it's actually taken the paralysis away and if everybody does that and joins together, then it does. It tends to empower you. And I suppose I do what he's doing only on a bigger scale because I'm running a national organisation. And I don't have time for fear. It just gets in the way. Um, I have time for anger sometimes because I see what's happening in factory farming firsthand. Mm. And I'll be honest with you, when I've come out of a place like that, you know, I do feel angry and then what I will do is I'll channel that anger into the energy we need to campaign and that's that's my way of coping is is channeling it into other emotions you know I've always been a passionate person um as I've got older I found it easier to do that when I was younger I found it harder to get rid of that anger yeah Um, better at it yeah I get very emotional even just you know hearing you talk about factory farms and you know just sort of conjuring the images in my mind of of you know things on the Viva website or elsewhere on social media that that I kind of try to avoid because it does really affect me um but I think yeah I think that's good advice isn't it just just find something to kind of throw yourself into so you can make a difference and not just feel paralyzed by you know the the fear and the the kind of upset that you know what is going on 
absolutely something going on in every town I mean I was just looking up for where I live like every two weeks on a weekday um but they also do weekend stuff you go and you plant trees as part of this regeneration program and I think rather than just sit around saying we should plant more trees you know join one of those trusts that's part of the wildlife trust here you know and and help out and become part of something positive and yes I think it completely changes your mindset that individuals I think we're a lot more powerful than we realize I think we live in a society that has disenfranchised us so much that we forget how much power that we've got and the power of groups and joining together and that's why we try and get to people to join Viva, just changing the subject very slightly. When we talked about the Hogwood documentary, one of the reasons that campaign was so successful is because Viva supporters on the ground all came together on the same day in the days of actions that we organised at national level. But we couldn't have done it if people on a local level didn't join in and stand outside their Tesco all on the same day. So we're outside about 120 Tescos on the same day saying this is not acceptable you know, you should not be dealing with someone like Hogwood, you know, you know, just drop them. And it, that kind of support, whatever it is you choose to do, is really powerful. Hmm. So remind us what Hogwood is, because I know we t- spoke about that, didn't we, last year? And in fact, Hogwood is a documentary now that's launching on Netflix in April 2022, which is fantastic because obviously it potentially can reach a, a huge meet uh, eating audience then yeah. um it was a pig farm which is a so-called mega pig farm as they're called which means they're over a certain size where um they are one of the biggest pig farms in the UK and it was in Warwickshire and it was supplying Tesco and also one of the huge um wholesalers one of the biggest in Europe actually and we went in and filmed and what we saw was so horrific um, from my experience, I thought Tesco would drop them straight away. And in fact, they didn't. Instead, they dug their heels in and defended them. And so did the National Pig Association and, and the bodies around it actually sent, you know, sent people to the um, actions that we were doing outside the farm and so forth. And we built, because it was so horrific, we built up a lot of support um, from Viva's community, from the wider vegan community, but a lot wider than that because people who consume meat didn't think their meat should come from somewhere like that. So the support was, you know, building and building. Um, But they wouldn't drop it. So we went back in, which was very difficult. And then we filmed an animal cannibalising another one alive and all the conditions. There were some slight changes, but basically all this talk that Tesco had given about working with farmers rather than just dropping them, it was just all a load of bullshit. So we exposed that and we did another day of action outside all the Tesco's. Still Tesco dug their heels in, but I noticed at this point the industry itself was starting to back away from them and not defend them the way they had done in the first year. We went back in, which was really difficult by this point because they'd spent tens of thousands of pounds on upping security uh, and not sorting out the animal welfare just security to keep out the, the campaigners absolutely and so what we we did get back in though and we managed to place um cameras and that is when tesco dropped them because we filmed the owner of the farm and his workers actually hitting the animals and of course at this point it being the fourth time we'd been in tesco's couldn't really say oh we're working with them and they'll change so they had nowhere to go and it, it really made you think realize good and proper that these supermarket chains do not 
change because they have the animals at heart because if they did they would have dropped them straight away it's very much a PR thing for them and the PR just became you know too excruciatingly bad for them for them to continue but we won it you know in a sense in the end um the, the thing is that pig farming in the UK the reason we made the documentary was to say actually sadly hogwood is not a rotten apple if this is how pigs are farmed in the UK um and Tesco et al they they all recognize that and that was one reason we were told from behind the scenes privately was that Tesco didn't drop them at the beginning was because they said precisely that they're not one rotten apple we'll just go to another farm that's just as bad and Viva will expose that and so it will go on yeah and so what we need to do, which is what Viva's all about, is actually change the public. People need to walk into that supermarket and think, nah, I ain't buying me. I'm going to the, you know, I'm going to the plant-based section. And, you know, it, it, these days, this growth, phenomenal growth in veganism in the last four years, especially, as you as you well know, um, better than most people uh, reporting on it all, you know, has made it much easier for us to, you know, to do that job because people genuinely can choose the vegan burger and actually not know that we did taste tests for our La Burger tour this year where we did, we went to several cities. We did blind taste tests where people didn't know whether something was meat. Um, in fact, we used the Taste and Glory burger for this one and meat eaters were, were so blown away with it because they, they really didn't know. And on the actual tours, what surprised me to a degree was 50% of the people trying the burgers, the vegan burgers, had never tried one before. And they largely loved it. And so when we were talking about them, they said, we were saying, well, why buy the meat burger? And they're going, yeah, absolutely. I had no idea. So this, you know, there's still that work to do in terms of convincing people out there in a nice positive way that they can just make these really simple swaps as a starting point. Yeah. And so very much about working with consumers, the public and getting them to change. That's the thing. I think when you are sort of um, entrenched or, you know, you work in the vegan world or you're just simply vegan and have been for a while and slowly your family and friends start to go vegan, you, you kind of feel like everyone's maybe going vegan, but that's not the case. And I think often on social media, um, I recently appeared on um, Jeremy Vine um, on Channel 5 uh, with my dog, who is vegan. And um, funnily enough, this morning, I just happened to go onto Twitter because I never use Twitter. And they'd, um, the, the show had sort of included me, my um, Twitter handle in the tweet to sort of get the debate going. And the comments were just, you know, unreal, saying I was, you know, I was sort of animal abuse and um it was my views and I'm forcing it onto my dog and things like this I mean he's on like a bio-organic dog food you know this is not I don't want abuse yeah. Yeah. yeah I know but you think it was only I can remember we're doing exposés of places like Hogwood about five years ago and we got a torrent of abuse when when it went out in national papers like the Daily Mail who have this huge audience and the reason we go with papers like that so I think they're one of the biggest newspapers online in the world mm. is precisely because we want to reach meters and challenge them you know there's no point you know keep telling the same things to vegans um and we'd get literally this torrent of abuse, you know, saying, you know, implying that we're really radical and blah, 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 blah. Now we get a national exclusive in a paper like that. And, and we do not get this torrent of abuse. People, the general public, they have moved on a hell of a lot in the last handful of years. 
Um, and it used to be the same, like you just said, with you know, with your dog being vegan. We used to get it in terms of like, well, it's okay for you to go vegan, but you can't possibly bring up your child as vegan. Yeah. And we don't that anymore either. So things are moving on, or we get it much less. So now, so now, yeah. So now that's sort of like as we're moving along, the next one is dogs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> moving the boundaries. Well, that's yeah. that's a really positive thing, isn't it? Yeah, I spoke to, um, talking about, you know, pig farming, I spoke to Dr. Alice Brough. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Um, And obviously she was a pig farmer. If anyone hasn't listened to that episode, I think it was last season. Um, And yeah, so she was a, sorry, a pig vet. um, And she saw horrific things taking place, even on free range and organic farms, you know, and and she couldn't believe that that was the norm. But she she realised that it was and then became an animal activist. So this is in the Hogwood documentary, actually, because ironically, she worked at the vets that actually treated, in inverted commas, the pigs at Hogwood. Oh, wow. So, all about that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll keep our eye out for that on Netflix in April. Um, just quickly, the last thing that we wanted to talk about was the TV, TV ad that you've got coming yeah. up. So you really are going to take veganism mainstream with this, aren't you? You're crowdfunding at the moment. Yes, I'm very excited by this, actually. Have you seen the ad? Uh, do you know what? I was about to say no, but I think I have. Tell me what's in it. <laughs> so it's a couple sat on their settee with their doggy, drinking a glass of wine. And, and he says, you know, should we try vegan? Basically using the just, you know, using the app, scrolling through. And she goes, no, I want meat. So they find this just meat app. And she says oh god you know the the doorbell rings I could eat a horse and goes to the door and there's this sort of like ominous feeling and the camera goes down from the delivery man to this little live piglet who's stepping over the door and he hands over the cleaver because they're a new customer (laughs) and um, Peter Egan's voiceover just says animals are not just meat and it's um, having um, a massive sort of response from our own community. And I say our own community at the moment because they're the ones seeing it, because they're the ones we put the crowdfunder out to, obviously, to raise the funds. We got the funds to actually make the ad, I create it, because these are not cheap things to do. Just making it is £40,000. Um, it's very professionally done. It's I'm so proud of it, you know, and the team that worked on it were brilliant. I really enjoyed working with them. And... Um, the, the we got that through doing um, an appeal to our own supporters but once you've done that you've actually got of course got to pay the actual television company to actually show the thing yeah. and then you get really expensive stuff of course depending on which programs you you know you put it out with so um we decided to go with channel four and all its platforms and they know what the audience is that we're aiming at And so at first we were just looking at um, a handful of million people, which obviously is a lot. um, One of our very kind uh, um, people said, uh, I will match fund up to £40,000. So anything that we raise through the crowdfunder is going to be doubled. But then on top of that, incredibly, we won a grant from Channel 4 as a first-time television advertiser. You You had to fit all these different criteria, and we did. And they decided to um, double whatever we get through the crowdfunder. So say, for example, we raise 40000 through our supporters and the wider vegan community, and that's doubled through the match fund to 80000 Then Channel 4 have to double that. So oh. that will 
£60,000, which means we would reach 16 and a half million people, which is a lot. Wow, I've got goosebumps. <laughs> I know, I mean, it's, it's big money and it's, it's big figures, but if we raise more than that, of course, we could do another campaign with it. You know, you, you show it as many times as you get the money for. So, um, yeah, it's very, it's very exciting because it genuinely is, it's a really good ad i think the vast majority of people who've seen it are very moved by it and say they didn't know what was coming and were really you know really taken aback and it really made them think so if we're going to get that response um you know it just all feeds in to the fact that going vegan is the normal sort of choice that you can make and these creatures are animals i really wanted our first tv ad to be from you know the animals perspective and you can't put out loads of gore on a tv ad you know because of um, all the limitations in terms of getting it shown but you can put something clever out like this which i think actually is going to have more impact because i think more meat eaters will watch it and we'll talk about it yeah it's it's just planting that little seed isn't it and even if half of those millions of people kind of thought god yeah i never really thought that you know meat is actually a living animal and I'm just going to google it and then suddenly they're going down the rabbit hole and before you know Mm. it you know cutting out meat or reducing so it's fantastic I mean thank you for all the work that you do we um yeah (laughs) us vegans owe a lot to you yeah and I must remember if anyone wants to watch the tv ad it's only 30 seconds of course because it's a television ad it's really one of the most challenging things ever is to make a 30 second ad and get it because imagine we were filming for 12 hours solid for this and you're getting 12 hours down to 30 seconds it, yeah. it's, it's, but anyway it's viva viva obviously dot org dot uk forward slash tv hyphen ad and you can see the ad on there and i did a little film with the piggies from gene farm sanctuary um asking people if they will donate and um um yeah and if you want to donate obviously please do <laughs> yeah oh I love pigs so much I just yeah just hate the thought <laughs> of them suffering um yeah. Juliet you've been amazing I I really do hope we meet in real life one day because uh, <laughs> obviously events are starting to come back aren't they so perhaps we'll hook up at some point yeah, I'm doing the in camp out actually in it's July next year. So um, if you can manage to make it there, perhaps we can finally, finally meet at an event. That would be great. I definitely want to go this year, and I've got friends who are up for it. So I think I'll um, I'll try and sort that out. Um, just to finish, if anyone uh, did want to get involved more with Viva, you've got some jobs going at the moment, haven't you? So it might be worth people checking those out. Oh, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. We have. We've got um, exciting. Our campaigns team is expanding. So we have campaigner and a campaign so two campaigner roles, campaigner, and but also campaigner who's got more of an environmental bent. So we're looking for somebody who's got either obviously an environmental or conservation type or a science degree we'd accept. So, yeah, have a look um, on our website for those. Um, that's viva.org.uk forward slash jobs um the other one that we have going is pr manager which is um, a really exciting role and the other one is more of an admin role it's just a a part-time 14 hour a week of that one but that's um bookkeeping assistant so it's basic level bookkeeping um but also other administration roles so um they're all based in bristol our headquarters are in bristol 
So, yeah, if anybody wants to apply, um, <laughs> have a look. It's all over. Our, I'm just checking that URL, but, yeah, it definitely works. Viva.org.uk forward slash jobs. You'll see them there. Yeah, Fantastic. Thank you so much, Juliet. We'll uh, perhaps catch up again this time next year and see what work you've been doing in that time. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having me on again. Well, that's it from the Simply Vegan podcast for 2021. We are back on the 4th of January with loads of exciting Veganuary content. So please do join us. Um, thank you to all our listeners for supporting us over the past year. It's been a fantastic 12 months. Um, we celebrated our first birthday in October. Many, many amazing guests and um, lots of laughs along the way. Have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice. See you in January. 